I want you to turn, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I believe that this is the most beautiful picture of grace that you'll find in the Old Testament. I, I, I mean, there are some others. We, we could argue about it or so, but I'm talking about as a narrative, as a story. It is the best, most beautiful picture of grace itself that you will find. And how challenging it is to us as God's people. As we think about God's grace and as we think about our lives conveying that grace to others. I want you to see this story again. It's in the life of David as we've been studying the last few weeks. It says, beginning in verse 1, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So stop there a moment. Here's David. Now, we've seen David before just stop and begin thinking. You know, when, when there were quiet moments in his life, when he wasn't out battling, when he wasn't out warring against the enemies of Israel, it's as though he has just a little bit of time to stop. Chapter 8 tells us that he had been out and he was, he was leading the armies of Israel. But now again, he has a moment to just pause and reflect. And I love this about David, that when he reflects, it's like he's reflecting upon either God or upon others. You know, as we looked at it a few weeks ago, as he stopped, he thought about God and about his presence and about building a temple. We talked about that, how God had, had allowed him to have just some moments of peace so he could think about his purpose and his plan and what he might do before God. Now, once again, he stops. And the scripture says that when he stops this time, he's thinking about other people. He begins to think to himself, is there anybody else that I can show kindness to? Is there anybody specifically in the house of Saul, in the dynasty of Saul, that I can show kindness to? Hey, before we go any further here, there's so many opportunities for us to stop and to think, what can I do to show grace and kindness to somebody else? What can I do? I mean, when God gives us, gives us moments to pause and to think, we ought to think about who God is and what he is in our lives, but we also ought to think, God, how could you use us in other people, in other people's lives? How could we demonstrate kindness and grace? Now, David begins to think about this. And is there anybody left that I may show kindness to? Anybody in the house of Saul? The word kindness uh, if you see that in the Hebrew, or you'll see a transliteration of it, it may look something like hesed, H-E-S-E-D. The Hebrew, of course, I've been in Israel a little bit this week, so I've heard a little bit of the Aramaic and Hebrew and all, but it would be something like kesed, kesed. Can you say that with me? Kesed. Say it louder. Kesed. Yes, better. Uh, Carol, you're going to have to wash your hair when you get home because Jim Pierce got really into it, all right? And I think he slobbered a little bit on your hair there, but Kesed, Hesed. It is one of the most important and significant theological terms that you'll find in the Old Testament. It does speak to kindness, but it also speaks to this faithful love. 
There are so many different translations of it. I mean, the, the translators of the Old Testament, when they get to this word, it's, it's almost like they can't get their, their minds wrapped around it. They can't get their hands wrapped around it. And you'll see it translated like steadfast love, loving kindness. It, it'll be like this covenant love. So it's, it's more than just, uh, just a happenstance act of kindness. It grows out of the relationship and the covenant. Oftentimes it refers to God's faithful, steadfast love for us. His graciousness to us. As a matter of fact, I could say that you could translate this. Is, is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I may show him this faithful love, this covenant love, this grace, this mercy? I just want to show mercy to somebody. I just want to show grace to the house of Saul. Well, David asked that question, and then it says, verse 2, And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, and the king said, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So David says, is there anybody that can find a person from the house of Saul? And they said, we still have this servant of Saul. We, we can find him. And they went and they located him. They brought him. And David just asked the question, do you know anybody that's still left of the house of Saul? And the servant says, there's, there's the one that I know of. There's this guy and he is lame in his feet. Hey, I want to give you three truths very quickly, all right? I know I only got about 20 minutes, so listen. Three truths that I want to give you about grace. And I think it'll speak to you. Man, it has spoken to me over the last few days. And I pray that it would just impact your life when you think this. Grace has the ability to locate you in your shame and to relocate you to a state of honor in who you are. Now think about this just a moment. I love this, okay? Grace has a way of locating you and then relocating you. Grace is for those of us who are broken. And what God does through his grace is he locates us right where we are. And then all of a sudden, he relocates us. I love this about God. He's in the relocating business. He is able to find us in the state that we find ourselves in. And he can relocate us to a different state. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said... I never had the experience of looking for God. It was the other way around. He was the hunter, or so it seemed to me, and I was the deer. Maybe that's the reason I love C.S. Lewis so much. He talks about deer hunting, okay? He was the hunter, or so it seemed to me, and I was the deer. He stalked me, took unerring aim, and fired. And I am very thankful that this is how the first conscious meeting occurred. That is that God found me and that he targeted me and that he brought me in in such a powerful way to meet him. God has a way of locating us. Grace has a way of locating us and then relocating us. Here's grace locating the broken. 
Here's grace locating that one which is filled with shame. Now, when I say this one that we're going to talk about a little more, that this one had all kind of shame on him, one of the reasons he had shame is because the dynasty was broken. Remember, he was of the house of Saul. The house of Saul is now, well, it's in disrepair. It's been pushed in a sense to the side. Saul and his sons had lost the battle and had lost their lives. And even though there was a seven-year struggle that would prevent David from unifying the country, the house of Saul had lost. And when you lose, there is great shame, right? When you're on the losing side, there is a sense of shame. Trust me, I grew up an Ole Miss fan. I know what shame is like, all right? When you're on the losing side, there's shame. And here, you have this man that still represents the house of Saul. He's been relocated. He's been moved. He's over on the other side of the Jordan in shame because of the loss. The dynasty had been broken. As we read on down, we'll find out that his own body had been broken. Look, I am so grateful That our God values all of life, all of life, from from conception to that moment we draw our last breath here. God values life, all of life. But here this was an individual that was disabled. The scripture tells us as we go back to chapter 4 verse 4 that when the news of Saul and Jonathan came... That the nurse that would take care of this young man, this five-year-old young man, she grabbed him up in her arms and she began to flee, to get away. And she fell. And because of that failure or that fall, he was disabled. Now, I say to you that those who have any type of disability, I am grateful that our culture today esteems their life. At least in the church and other areas, we can esteem their value. But unfortunately, in the Old Testament culture, there was this idea of brokenness that was there and perhaps even shame that was attached to that physical situation. Even his, even his name, even his name spoke to the shame that he had. Continue reading with me. It says in verse 4, So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. <laughs> then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Verse 6, Now when Mephibosheth. Man, you love that word, don't you? You just found a new name for the next child or grandchild you're going to have. Just make it kind of challenging. Mephibosheth. What is the word? What does the name mean? It means something like from the mouth of shame. So he was on the losing side. He's broken. Even his name communicates the shame that is in his life. But grace finds us in our state of shame. It has the ability to locate us in our state of shame and to relocate us 
to a state of honor. David is going to bring this man to be with him. It says in verse 6, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here's your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. David said, I remember what I promised Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. Jonathan had said, May there always be this type of covenant between us and between our descendants. David said, I remember that covenant love, that faithful love that I'd promised. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, when Saul had run the young David down into a cave, and of course David had allowed Saul to live. Remember, Saul makes this confession. I, I know that you're going to be the next king. Would you not blot the name of my family from this earth? Would you not destroy my name? And David had promised. And now David fulfills his promise, his covenant, by honoring Mephibosheth. Notice Mephibosheth can't believe it. He, he can't believe that David is going to honor him now in the house that had fought against him. Verse 8, it says, he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? I mean, he had felt the shame. He said, I'm nothing more than a dog. This is an unclean animal. I mean, I mean it was the idea of saying a dog, a pig. And, and today, I'm always trying to apply it to today's world. It's the idea today of you being called a cat. And to go on top of that, he says, I'm a dead dog. In other words, that which is dead is unclean. That dog is unclean. I, I have complete shame in my life. But David is going to take him from a place of shame and put him in a place of honor. Chuck Swindoll says grace. Grace is always one-sided. It's always one-sided. Grace gives us things that we do not deserve that we never measured up to. It speaks into our lives. It does things for us we could never imagine. And folks, there are a lot of us in this place, if we would be very honest, we could carry the, we could carry the name Mephibosheth because we feel like there's shame for some of the things that we've done in life, for some of our background, some of our history, some of our attitudes, our thoughts, and our actions. But I want you to know that grace has a way of locating you in your shame and relocating you. Relocating you to a place of honor. Let me say it to you this way. The second truth is very similar, and that is God has the ability to locate you in your state of need and relocate you into a state of provision. He can see your need and he can relocate you into a place where you have provision. Notice what the scripture told us a moment ago. It says 
that this man Mephibosheth has been living in Lodabar. Lodabar. It's on the east side of the Jordan. If you were to break the word down, it means something like no pastures. So obviously Mephibosheth has his, had to flee from the house of David. He's concerned because back in the day, I mean, if you're on the losing side, the whole of the dynasty would be exterminated. You'd be killed. So he had to flee. And he, and he had to flee to a place of no pastures. This week, being in Israel, I was reminded there are a lot of different areas that have no pastures. I mean, there's no real sustenance. I mean, you go into the wilderness. I told the folks this week, I was born in North Mississippi. I thought wilderness was the woods. No. Wilderness means desert, means nothing. He goes to the place of no pastures. Exiled. Desolate. Some of us may feel like sometimes we live in Lodabar. There's no green lush fields for us. Just seems like barrenness. We live in a state of need. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the king's servants coming to the door Knocking on the door of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth opens the door and says, Hey, our king has sent us to bring you back. Our king wants to talk to you. He must have thought this was it. Game over. Death is in the future. David is about to settle all scores, and he's found me here in the land of no pastures. But again, verse 7, David had said, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and restore to you the land of Saul your grandfather. So he took from them, he took him from the place of no pastures where there was no provision, great need, and he brought him in and he restored to him the land of his father or grandfather, Saul. Some three miles north of Jerusalem, he restored to him all that land that could yield the fruit that he would need. Hey, isn't this awesome? Isn't this awesome? Grace is able to locate us in our state of need and relocate us to a place of provision. God sees us in our need. He knows exactly what we need in our lives, and he's able to just move us right where we need to be so that we can see God provide. Hey, Haddon Robinson said it this way. He had said that our God does abundantly provide. Abundantly beyond all that we are or think. Just as the writer Paul says in the book of Ephesians. And Haddon Robinson goes on to say, With him the calf is always the fatted calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy is unspeakable. The peace passes understanding. There is no grudging in God's goodness. He does not measure out goodness by drops like a druggist filling a prescription. It comes to us in floods. If only we recognize the lavish abundance of his gifts, what a difference it would make in our lives. 
Hey, can I apply it to us this way in, in some regard? God saw the greatest need that we had in our lives. The greatest need was the need of a Savior, salvation, forgiveness, life. He saw that. What did he do? He moved toward us. He took the initiative. He knew we could never climb the mountain on our own. So what did he do? He came down from the mountain and walked among us. And he died. He rose again so that you and I could have life and forgiveness. Because grace locates us in our state of need and relocates us to a state of provision. He provides. Last truth. Grace has the ability to locate you in your state of loneliness, in your state of loneliness, and relocate you to a state of unbelievable fellowship. God sees you. He knows you. He, he knows your shame. He knows your need. And he knows how lonely you are. Mephibosheth. Cut off from basically everybody else. He's living in Lodabar. There's got to be a sense of loneliness. There's got to be. He's there. He, he, he's like of the house of Saul that has been cut off from the people of God. He is in exile. But David brings him back to experience tremendous fellowship. Look, look what... Look what this says again. Let's, let's look in verse 9. It says, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. There's the provision. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Verse 7 said he'd be there at the table continually. And yes, there is the idea of provision within the idea of the table, but it is also the idea of inclusion, fellowship, connection, of being brought to the king's table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my Lord, the king has commanded his servant. So we will, we will your servants do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. Isn't this pretty cool? He was brought from the land of no pastures, Lodabar, to Jerusalem, the city of God. The city of God. For he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. What mercy and grace. I'm going to bring him to eat with me. He's experienced exile and loneliness too long. He's experienced brokenness. He's experienced need. He's coming with me. He's going to dwell in the royal household. I know it may not make sense to a lot of people, 
I know it may seem like I should have destroyed him and destroyed any kind of idea of Saul's family. But I'm bringing him to eat with me. At the table together. Hey, folks, isn't that what God did for us? In our shame, in our brokenness, in our loneliness, God just kind of invited us to the table. Do you realize it doesn't make sense? I, I mean, in so many regards, it does not make sense. You and I were hostile toward the God of heaven. That's what the scripture teaches us. We were enemies of him. We were seeking our own benefit. We were on our own desires. And what did God do? God reached down. He took the initiative in our lives. And the spirit of God came in and convicted us and showed us of our sin. And as we admitted that sin before him, as we came before him with humility and surrender, he saved us. And this one-sided grace, when we couldn't pull up to the table by ourselves, he just pulled us up to the table to be a part of the family. I say to you, this is one of the most beautiful expressions of grace you'll find. Because it reminds us so much of the grace of God himself. Next Sunday, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. This evening, I hope you'll come back for our community worship service. It's going to be good as a lot of churches gather here. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. When you come around that table, I want you to think about how you've been included because of what Jesus Christ did for you and the grace. How he located you in your loneliness and exile, and he brought you into the family. Because it is at the table, as someone has said, that we find the place where broken sinners find connection and blessing. At the table, those of us who are broken, we see the provision and the grace of the Lord. Oh, what it's going to be like. I, what, what, is, what it's going to be like when we pull up to his table in heaven itself. David expressed the sentiments of this when he said in the 23rd Psalm that our Lord would prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. When David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the royal household, I'm going to get to do that. And when John wrote in Revelation 19 of the coming meal that we were able to share together, he said, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you, his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in the fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Right, blessed means happy, joyful, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. One of these days, those of us who are believers in this place will be called around this royal heavenly table to enjoy that connection and fellowship 
and food with our God above. Why? Because of grace. You're not good enough to get to that table on your own? I wasn't good enough. Never will be. But Jesus Christ was good enough. When he died on the cross, that death was sufficient. That sacrifice was sufficient for you and for me. And because of that and the resurrection of our Lord, we are able one day to look forward to pulling up to the table. Because grace locates us where we are. In our shame, in our need, yes, as we think through it, even in our loneliness. And he is able to relocate us to a different life, to a different place through grace. Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus? Have you experienced that grace? Would you stop struggling and stop trying to do it on your own? Would you stop trying to earn your salvation? It's already been taken care of and earned on your behalf. Would you give your life to him and trust him with everything you got? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for grace. (laughs) God, thank you for doing something we could never have done for ourselves. And God, this morning in this place, I pray that you would speak to those who are still striving to do it on their own. I pray, Lord, for those that are trying to earn their salvation, those who are trying to be good enough and great enough. And, Lord, all they continue to find is shame and need and loneliness. God, I pray that you would show us today that you have given us grace in our broken state. And, Lord, I pray that those who are lost would come to be saved. Now, God, there are some of us who are saved But quite honestly, we forget that it's not by our works, but it's by your work. And God, this day, once again, would you allow us to stop and praise you for your grace? Would you allow us to thank you, adore you, beautify you, glorify who you are for what you've done for us? Give us these moments of reflection, invitation, and commitment now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?